Hello and welcome to the Superfreak Media podcast, No Ghouls Allowed, with me, your host, John O'Butler. Joining me today are Charlie Clark. Hello. Laura Van Leeds. Hi. And Liam Banks. Hello. Slightly delayed, Liam, like it? I know, I know. I was going to just be dead air, just not say hello. (laughs) So what we'll be discussing this week? Well, let me tell you, we'll be talking horror anthologies. Liam has made us watch a particularly choice example, which we'll be discussing later on. He's also been chatting to the filmmaker Michael Balif over at Witching Season Films. And there may or may not be a Nick Cage interlude. There will be. And we have our first short film recommendation. As usual, you can skip to the sections that you want using the timestamps below. But before we all that... We've released our Halloween short, Blood Money, last month. Liam, give it a plug. So yeah, um, October 31st, every year we release a short on the channel, and this year is no different. Um, Fortunately enough, we'd already actually recorded a couple of short films that were in the edit last year, so pre-COVID, and Blood Money was one of them. Uh, So it's up on the channel. It tells the story of Andy, who is running away from an armed robbery that she may or may not have committed (laughs) early on in the day. She finds herself in a grotty motel room and finds herself maybe not alone in that bathroom. There's something evil going on. Um, It's definitely a moral tale um, that kind of really hammers home that people get what they deserve ultimately. So, yeah, definitely check it out if you have the time. So you can check out Blood Money using the link in the description below. But on to the first section of our podcast then, and we're going to be talking about anthology films. So I didn't know this. I've done a little bit of research. I've been uh, going on the old Google and Wikipedia and stuff, and I've been looking into the history of anthologies. And it turns out that the first horror anthology films were actually produced in Germany. The first one was in 1919, so over 100 years ago, and it's called Uncanny Stories. And there were films in there based on the work of Edgar Allan Poe, and Robert Louis Stevenson. Um, And you can sort of see how, throughout the years, that's kind of evolved. So it goes through, you've got in the 1950s and the 1960s, you've got Amicus Productions from the UK making films like Torture Garden, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, which is an awesome title, The House That Drip Blood. And they all (laughs) starred um, big stars, you know, big horror stars like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee. Uh, And I think that was probably kind of the golden age of the anthology film. And then you've got modern classics. You've got uh, the Romero and Stephen King uh, collaboration, Creepshow. And coming a little bit further forwards into the 2000s, Trick or Treat, which is probably the film that kind of sparked the resurgence of the anthology film uh, with the likes of VHS, ABCs of Death. However, (laughs) they're not all great and uh, Liam, oh Mr. Liam Banks, our director-in-chief, uh, gave us a task. And he said, I've got a film for you. I've heard good things. He lied. Yeah, I, th- I think from that description and that suggestion, you should never trust what I say. Never But trust. I knew it would be... It would be something interesting to talk about. Let's just say that. Hmm. So we will be talking about... Glenn Danzig, <laughs> the lead singer of the lead singer of the Misfits, 
horror anthology based on his own comic book series, Verotica. And if the title doesn't tell you enough, mm. I don't know what else will. It's split into three yeah. stories, and to be honest, it starts off interesting, and then <laughs> quickly goes in a direction. I'll let you decide which. Uh, Liam, you introduced it to us. Why? Um, I think the reason why, <laughs> if I can why? justify the reason why, it's a big why, was the fact that I think, like you said, looking at horror anthologies, even when I was doing my research for this podcast, I noticed that although it can be a really interesting arena for filmmakers and storytellers to tell loads of different stories in one little package... It can also mean that it produces a lot of really bad films uh, as well. <laughs> and I think that Verotica, uh, before I get really in-depth with it and, and we kind of deep dive into it together, um, is very much an example of a film that should never have been made. Mm, um, words. Wow. So... I I don't even think... Th I mean, you'd like to think with an anthology, if you're telling several stories, at least there'll be, like, one story that redeems it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you're you not going to love all of them, um, and you'd like to think it appeals to more people because there's a lot more going on. Um, yeah, yeah think, but Verotica is interesting. I, I think mm -hmm. with, uh, with some of them, especially things like the ABCs of Death, where there's so many, mm -hmm. you might have two or three where you kind of go... Mm. But then within five minutes, there's one that piques your interest. And, yeah. And this has gone for three stories, three 30-minute stories of pretty much the same quality. Uh, yeah. And I, I just, it beggars belief, to be honest. I don't like mm -hmm. slamming on films because I think anyone that goes out and makes a film, especially mm -hmm. a feature film, is you know, you've got to yeah. applaud that. But I think, I, I think... It's just bizarre. The first I think segment to start with, um, even before the first segment story, you, you get the uh, the kind of the linking piece, don't you? Mm -hmm. uh, which <laughs> just sets the tone straight away. And I, and I thought, to be honest, for the first 30 seconds, I was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, it's not mm -hmm. as horrendous as I've been led to believe. Uh, yeah. And then the story started, but... Um, I'll let Liam carry on for a minute. I, th I think what bothered me with kind of what you were saying there was the fact that, yeah, I, I will never say don't don't go out and make a film, and I have a huge admiration for that, whoever does it. But what really bothered me was the fact that I think if this was maybe given to someone who maybe knew a little bit more about what they were doing, and it wasn't necessarily all about picking an idea that could just get some boobs on the screen for like 10 seconds in close-up I, I i think that there could have been actually some interesting stories there um it was just it, it was just devastatingly bad how it was executed <laughs> and i i use devastatingly not that often so <laughs> it's a good word so i, th I think we'll, we'll chat about the first story then which is the uh the albino spider of daget or daget as they say, oh, Dajid. Dajid. <laughs> as they say it in the film, because for some reason it is set in France. Which... Yeah, why is that? That the whole way through, all I could think of was, why does this need to be in France? Why? It, I mean, if there are French actors in it, fine, but there are not. 
So the accents are just terrible. So why does it need to be in France? If you can't, if you've got actors that can't do a convincing French accent, set it in New York or set it in America, where your actors are from. Well, this is the thing. It was filmed in America, wasn't it, obviously? And I think at one point you can still see a sign that says Los Angeles such and such. So it's not (laughs) like they tried to to pretty much really hide the fact that it wasn't set in France. Um, It was very much the accents were sub alo alo. It, it wasn't oh, even that level. I'm sure they actually say "allo allo" yeah, at one do. point. I'm sure one of the <laughs> closer to the end actually goes "allo allo" when he like knocks on the door and he's just like, "Oh my god, why?" Like, Charlie, you're still doing a more convincing French accent. You need to stop. Okay. <laughs> it was the fact that it was just the odd word as well that that would be French. So it wasn't like the characters spoke French. They would just speak. So they'd speak a sentence completely in English. Like they'd be like, "Oh my God, have you seen that over there?" And then the person would just reply with "Wee wee wee," and you're like, "What?" Bon. It just, you, just say me yes. <laughs> of the episode of Friends where Joey tries to speak French, and mm-hmm. it just like it's a really ham like ridiculous over the top French accent it's just like why bother like just don't bother doing the accent if you can't do it don't do it I think the it, I think the it, issue is they, they called their main character Daget and <laughs> then they decided that to make that fit everything well, else change your name then call her Dawn or something don't call her D- <laughs> Daget Dawn. she doesn't need to be French the albino spider of Dawn hmm <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we're focusing on one element of a thousand elements that were really bad there's about two, that there's first story. Two, sorry, there's two, there's two elements of the first story in particular that stood out to me. And they <laughs> happened in the first five minutes. Um, are the two elements attached to a certain actress? They are. That's <laughs> what I want to know. <laughs> the, um, it begs the question, would you rather have nipples for eyes or eyes for nipples? Um, I think we should all answer that question, to be honest. <laughs> so, wait. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the, the main character, Dajet, has uh, eyes where, where, where her nipples should be for reasons what, what, that I'm not just, entirely sure why. Yeah, what gets me is that if you've got that going on and you're obviously clearly a little bit embarrassed about it, why don't you wear a bra, please? Yeah. <laughs> yep. so, interesting. why are you clearly a sex worker if you're embarrassed <laughs> by it like she's like no no do not take my top off at the start and you're just like well what, no, it's your why job are you a sex worker then that's your job yeah, it's literally the fact that she goes oh, she just goes oh no not again and you're like how many times has this happened it's like a brand new surprise to her she's like oh no I have got the eyeballs for the nipples again and oh, they're still here <laughs> oh no and, but I'm going to do the entire rest of this segment no, in a please, Please do. as well. Please do. <laughs> I just don't understand a why she has them. B, was it why, explained? Or did well, I miss that? I don't think no, it, was it wasn't. I don't think there. I think there was zero explanation on the logic of of any of it. To okay. be fair, yeah. Um, but oh, plus point though. Mm-hmm. They didn't look terrible. <laughs> Actually, like, one thing that I will I give this th- yeah. film is so, not all. Mm. A vast majority of the practical effects aren't half bad. Mm. Like that yes. was, I think, the Ooh, one okay. takeaway from this film. There were a couple, like the the creature in this first story. I actually thought was the design of the creature was pretty okay, and it wasn't executed that 
badly. I've I do think the there were other elements now. in other sections that weren't, but the mm. makeup not that bad in places. Mm. I think as well that the the, the uh, going back to the nipply eyes um, and the the use of obviously the prosthetics there. They did cry at one point, which yeah. was a nice touch. I'm trying to mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to find positives. But the uh, actress who needed to cry as per the script suggested, could not cry. No, yeah, when the when the her breasts had more emotional range than she did <laughs> in the entire like section is 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 worrying. But I will say, obviously, you know how we've said that they were sex workers in the film. I think it was very apparent that a lot of the cast were adult film stars as well. well. Mm-hmm. The so. woman who connects the three stories is um, a pornographic actress. She's an adult film star. The one that mm-hmm. does the eye jabbing at the start the compare i guess yeah, yeah. She, whatever her name is it like <laughs> M- M- malella or something weird she's got a really weird name i can't remember it um, eye poking mctibbers yeah. we'll call her that yeah. yeah yeah but she she's um an adult film star and i learned that from wikipedia before anyone thinks that i've been you know Mm-hmm. I just like, repeating knowledge of I just knew she was. <laughs> sex have, addict, sex addict. <laughs> I do not have an encyclopedia of adult film stars names. Just like, oh, do you recognise her? That's so and so from that film, isn't it? Yeah. Triple X down under. Oh yeah, I, I That's know. Her, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's just it was yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I also love the fact that the the albino spider got its own credit as well in the opening. <laughs> That to me just blew me away. Oh, like I the fact it, that oh, the opening credits, I the thought visual they were effects. Okay. Mm, I thought yeah. they were interesting. That was quite a nice touch. They were titles, Jono. They yeah. were titles. Yeah. Yes, they, <laughs> they went on for a bit though, didn't they? That yeah. always worries me when you've got a film that <laughs> opens with such a long like credit list, and you're like, nah, this is already like blowing its own trumpet too yeah. much they're yeah. padding out the runtime there aren't they a little bit i think yeah um, i feel like that was one of the first things we learned at uni especially making short films was the fact that say that you've got like a two minute short film you don't want 30 seconds of that to be opening <laughs> credits and that was very much this film yeah. <laughs> was well, just I opening very credits feel that like he obviously wrote a song that he was quite proud of and he was just mm. like I could use the tiniest little bit of it but I'm going to use the whole song for the whole mm. credits and I'm going to just pad the heck out of it yeah. and it was yep. yeah it was very much that's not to say that I don't enjoy Mr Danzig's work no. in terms of musically I, I do like the misfits uh, or, or misfits sorry and I do enjoy some of that but yeah mm, not filmmaking mate no, he should probably stick to yeah, stick to what you're good stick at. Stick to music. Stick stick to what you're strongest at, mate. Don't just no. <laughs> so my main takeaway from uh, part one was: is it supposed to be sexy? Like, are we? Because su- is it? Because at no point was it. Is that, was that his intention that this is supposed to be kind of like an erotic horror kind of? Well, I think the the comic book series is erotically like charged, isn't it? And I mean, the title, Verotica, mm. I, I kind of went into it knowing that there was going to be some sexiness to it. But yeah, I, I will probably say uh, from my end, it actually went in. It Nothing happened. So <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it d- didn't do anything for me. Thanks, everyone. On Bye-bye. The, on, on the flat, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So uh, that's an image. Segment two, then. <laughs> the point where I, I said, because me and Theo watched it together, and I was sat there and I said to him, "Is, is this is this a porn? 
are, are we watching softcore porn? Like, can we just yeah, check that you've tricked that. me into watching softcore porn? <laughs> Is this a also, porn? Was I it love made that. in the nineties? Uh, no, no, no on both counts. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I feel like um, f- the female characters were very progressive, weren't they? They were, mm. they were really standing up for for women. Strong, independent role models. All strong, independent women. Yeah, it was it was shoddy. Talking about oh, strong, dear. independent women. Section two, segment two, change of face, which includes about three pointless trips to a strip club. Um, oh my god! Yep, they were just Why? gratuitous. I did think, did they just have some footage of a strip club that they just needed to use? I think so. I mean, see, this is, again, another issue that I had is I don't have a problem with female characters being shown in a strip club because one of my favourite films is Planet Terror, but and she's a stripper. She has a whole strip montage at the start, mm. but then she also then realises that she's a lot more than just a stripper, comes into her own and becomes this badass action hero, whereas this was just not it was it at all no um again another film um from dusk till dawn mm. it, if it's done in a way that makes sense and the characters actually have a character as opposed to just rolling exactly. around a pole for five minutes very much felt like an extended cut of like a motley crew video like the video for girls 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 but really bad like and just played over and over again it's like they just got a bunch of pole dancers and went just we've, we'll film you for about 45 minutes and then they just segued it all into the film and mm-hmm. it was just unnecessary i mean establish you're in a strip club fine we don't <laughs> need i think it was like three or four like four minute sections of a film of them just dancing around like just we get it they're in a strip club we've got it thanks we don't need it then bashing over the head with it for like another three or four times just it's just stop. a lot of repetition wasn't it that, yeah that, that it was, was lazy i think that's interesting though what you said in terms of it being like a rock music video because i think rock as a genre similar to maybe hip-hop uh, it has an interesting relationship with women and i think the way that women are portrayed um in their music videos um, and I do think that it kind of came from that point of view, maybe. Uh, so the fans of it may be the fans of that sort of music or or existing fans of, of Danzig's anyway. It's- yeah, I, can't, I get what you mean. Um, I think it's definitely come from that kind of world and that kind of era where maybe the industry's attitudes to women weren't as progressive as perhaps they are now um but yeah it it makes some choices yeah so i i think definitely out of the three the middle segment was the weakest uh which is saying a lot because they're all (laughs) rather weak um on to the third segment then which was uh drukija contessa of blood which is uh, based on the uh, Elizabeth Bathory legend about uh, mm-hmm. a lady who washes in the blood of virgins to keep herself young. Um, I mean, don't we all? Obviously. I mean, that's <laughs> just standard. Every Sunday. Every hey, Sunday. of my enemies. Ah, oh, so many virgins. So many. <laughs> um, again, talking about padding things out, this one did involve a, a scene of about a minute in length of the of the main character just staring into a mirror smearing herself bit by bit in blood which I I assume was supposed to be scary 
what I particularly enjoyed about this one as well was the use of zooming out of a scene from oh. close up and then reversing the zoom back into the scene that you've just seen. It was like when she's in the bath of blood with the girl and they zoom out of her wrist and then they zoom back in on them and then back mm-hmm. out again. It's like, just make a choice. Like, are you zooming out or zooming back? Just stop. There was a lot of crap gap filling in that this segment, I think. A few things on, on this one. I think, uh, yeah, definitely the camera work and choices made were interesting. I think the whole way through... Um, I don't know. It was almost like he picked something that he found interesting visually and would just stay on that for quite some time. Because, yeah, I get it. You know that shot where she was in the mirror and she was looking at herself? Really, actually, kind of an interesting shot. You know, if you take it out of that piece, the mirrors, the lighting, everything was lovely. Um, What I also wanted to kind of mention was the fact... I know we've spoke, obviously, about the fact that there was adult um, film stars in this. Obviously, they're the majority of the female cast. This one had, obviously, a, a few male characters in, as did the second segment. And they still didn't seem to get actors, which I just didn't understand. Because if that was what they were going for, was just to get women in who were happy to be nude, then at least get male <laughs> cast who can act alongside them. It just, yeah, it just bothered me. It wonder if it was kind of, he got his male mates on board... Oh, a hundred percent. Then just went, yeah. I've got a film that I'm doing with a load of uh, load of ladies in. Do you want to? Do you want to come down? I'll uh, yeah. I'll buy you dinner. Let you pick a few up in a scene. Yeah, just throw some cash at them. Actually, in for nipples. Enjoy. In this third segment, there is actually a cast member or crew member you can see in the background in one of the shots. I noticed <laughs> it's when oh, well she, spotted. She's like feeding the wolf. Um, when she's kind of like walking through the woodland at night, there's just some guy just sat there. And <laughs> it's just like, how has this gone through this many people and made it into the final cut? It's, yeah, it's beyond me. So I think the, the issue that <sighs> I have with the, the whole film entirely is that, so the first segment appears to be, he's got an idea and he's ran with it for the entire segment and he's stuck with it, which is, it's going to be in France. The second <laughs> one, he appears to be that it's going to be the strip club is the main element of it. It's going to revolve around that. I need to keep going back to it. And this third <laughs> one is that it just so happens to be a period piece. And then, but there's no, I can't really see any sort of beyond that, any real thought process. Does or point. Yeah, that's that, That's the problem. <laughs> I wrote in big letters with a question mark next to it, point, question mark. Mm. Like, is it trying to say anything? Or is the thing was, is it trying to tell a tale? And if it's just trying it just, to tell a story, then... I'd be interested okay. to see how the comics compare mm. to the films because I think a lot of things that were maybe in these films might have worked in a comic book medium. Yeah. Um, because I think you can get away with a lot more and, and with like animated uh, content as well. Yeah. So I don't know if it was just a case that the ideas weren't necessarily crazy bad because I love the, the kind of legend of Elizabeth Bathory. I think it's quite terrifying the whole thought of it but it just didn't offer anything new and i think that's what was so disappointing yeah i think with comic books you can really push the envelope and you can really go extreme with it and then all of a sudden in a film uh budget gets in the way uh mm-hmm. it actually having to look good gets in the way whereas in a comic book you can if you can draw it it can be it yeah i think like laura said though it's like it almost feels like a porn film, but it 
isn't and it's it's kind of stuck in the really weird gap between just being porn <laughs> and a film and I, it's it's on a weird line between the two and it just doesn't work i think its main problem is it doesn't know what it wants to be like if it was a full-on porn film then fine and if it was a properly thought out well-constructed piece of film fine but it isn't it's kind of a weird hybrid of the two and i just think it it just yeah it's it's not the best it just feels lazy and not you can just well. tell where somebody i don't i mean i'm not gonna point the fingers anywhere <laughs> but like where you can just kind of tell where the cracks are between it where it's like oh i really want boobs and i really want <laughs> this spider and i really want this weird makeup effect let's find a way that all of those things can exist in in this thing that we're making and we've only got 50 quid sorry bye like it is, I don't know. It is like a child just ran through like a toys r us of just things you yeah. could put in a film and just go I want that and that and that and that and then shoved it all in a trolley and there we are that's the film yeah. and it's not it doesn't necessarily fit together I'd be interested to see how much this film actually cost. Uh, I don't suppose, do you have that to hand, Jono, or do you want me to try and find out give what it, the budget give it was? Google. Give it a quick Let me have a quick look, because I, I think we're actually going to be surprised. I reckon you know, about a like, million dollars. What? I reckon a million dollars. Do you, really? Yeah. I There's quite a few was... people in it, so... Yeah. yeah, this is true. And they they did get some horses in there as well. They are. I like, literally, like I, I saw they... that and just thought insurance. <laughs> I love the fact, though, that they clearly only had a very limited time with the horses as well because they reuse a few of the shots. The same shot. Times in the little <laughs> horse riding montage, they just use, like, the same shot of her, like, three times. And I'm like, oh, you could only afford the horses for, like, half an hour, couldn't you? <laughs> like... So I'm just on IMDb. Do you know what the rating is on IMDb for this film? Oh, it's I, I like, do. It's 1.7, is it? Something like it's that. It's 2.3 on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. It's 1.9 on oh, IMDb. God. And it's had 1,228 reviews. Oh, wow. Jeez, Louise. Right, let me try and find budget because... Um, uh, oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, uh, well, I, I, it must have been a sizable budget for it in some ways, but... Whilst I mean, you're doing that, Liam... Um, it's got an estimated budget of around a million pounds, so you're actually you right there, Jono. Crikey, crikey, crikey. That's... Oh, jeez. There's so many it's things just you we have a million a pounds million. to make a film? I think we'd probably manage to do something a bit more cohesive than <laughs> the Verotica if we did. Uh, yeah, it's... Mm, On the plus yeah. side, though, <laughs> one thing I will say is... Um, well, not for me, anyway, because I watched it alone, which was a horrible experience but as a <laughs> as a film to watch in a late night cinema showing with a load of people who are on board mm -hmm. I, I think it would be pretty successful yeah i think in a situation some something like mayhem or like a horror film festival i could imagine us just sitting there and just laughing with each other uh, like at it we wouldn't be laughing yeah. with it because it's not trying to be funny i think <laughs> but that's it, what happened at the premiere yeah. wasn't it he was quite proud of it and then it everyone laughed in all the wrong places and oh, which is now which i feel horrible. awful but at the same time i think now he's kind of taken that on board and has gone well actually it might be a bit more successful as a cult kind of yeah late night film than a serious i definitely horror. think it's it's got cult value to it it is one of those films that 
you know, like you say, you'd go and see at like a, a film festival with all your mates and you would laugh at it or just be really drunk. I can imagine it being a lot better if you're drunk and I was tempted to reach for the gin, but... Uh, Did I, anyone I actually know. watch it drunk <laughs> or, or was everyone sober when they went into this? I was. If I wasn't sober before, I was definitely sober by the time I'd finished. <laughs> <laughs> I went in sober, but I really wish I hadn't. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think I it would have been more enjoyable. Yeah. Should we rewatch it all together once COVID's finished, but with a lot of alcohol? I feel yes. like it would be a lot Deal. more fun. A lot of alcohol and the hardest of drugs. And then <laughs> we should get through it. And we'll be like, masterpiece, we'll leave 10 out of 10 reviews. Yeah. That should be how it's sold. It should be sold with like uh, just a six pack and then just loads of heroin. Yeah, <laughs> just, just 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 a line of coke in the spine of the DVD. I don't know why I went for heroin. That would be terrible. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you went you went dark pretty fast. That's, I, don't uh, need to, I don't need to get a habit out of this. <laughs> I don't think you want to be dealing in downers and watching that film I think you'd probably kill yourself by the end of it if you did you definitely need an upper PSA please do not take drugs everyone yeah, we no, do not don't condone drugs don't take Sorry. drugs jeez so moving on then um, not all horror anthologies fall into the category uh, that Verotica does there are a lot of absolutely brilliant ones. I don't know why I'm pointing over there as if there are horror anthologies and I realise that people can still see me because we're on a video chat. What an idiot. You're <laughs> surrounded by horror anthologies um, there, there, Jono. So I know that uh, everyone has brought one to the table. Uh, so I'd like to kick off um, with Charlie Clark. What's your favourite horror anthology film? Well... There were a couple. Um, Trick or Treat probably stands out for me, but I did kind of think that a few other people would pick that. So I actually went with Ghost Stories, um, which was released in 2017, and it's actually based on a 2010 stage play that was written by Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman. Um, they wrote and directed the stage play. They also wrote and directed the screenplay as well. Um and I think that's why it translates so well. So um, me being a bit of a theatre fan as well as a film fan, I was like, this marries my my love of the two together. Um, but Andy Nyman's very famous for working with Darren Brown as well. So I think that's what makes the stage play so effective. And I think it definitely translates well to film, um, this particular one as well. And um, it's got Martin Freeman in it as well. Um, he kind of marries all the stories together um he plays a um uh, i'm trying to remember what what it is that he is Bear he's with. kind of like a businessman isn't he? he or like a banker or something i know he yeah. has a um so have you been to see the stage play as well as the film charlie i haven't seen the stage play live but i have seen um recorded version of it um it's one that's been on my list for a long time and i did want to see it but then kind of covid happened and yeah, stuff went stopped down. theaters from you know <laughs> existing which is uh really sad but yeah it's um 
it's kind of in the same bracket as like the woman in black um it very much kind of takes the audience on a ride in that sense um but i really liked the film it's a british film as well and i think a lot of um the kind of more modern anthologies that we that we know are american um mm-hmm. and i do think that this is probably one of my favorite british films probably ever i do think it's really strong and the cinematography and just the look of it is really gritty and it kind of has an element of the way black mirror looks like certain mm. um certain episodes of black mirror it's quite gritty mm. um and dark and it doesn't shy away from being shocking like the bits that are shocking are really shocking um but yeah i, mean, I think if you haven't thing... watched it you definitely should it's it's definitely a really good just to ask, because obviously you mentioned Woman in Black there as well, and you've seen a recorded version mm-hmm. of Ghost Stories. I know that we both went to see the film when it came out, but yeah. um, do you think, does it translate well from the stage play to a film, or would you say that the stage play from the recording you've seen is is better? Because um, I think that's sometimes an issue, isn't it, for those things? I think it's it works well in both. I mean, I... I like theatre, I like horror theatre when it's done really, really well. And I think that, unfortunately, speaking of The Woman in Black, when I saw The Woman in Black on stage, it wasn't as strong as the film. Whereas Mm. what I've seen of ghost stories on stage and obviously the film, they do compare quite well. Um, Mm. I don't know if it was the particular version of The Woman in Black on stage that I saw. It had its moments, but it didn't scare me as much as the film did. Um, which was a shame. Mm. Uh, but with, with Ghost Stories, I do think they are quite closely comparable. Um, I would like to actually go and see Ghost Stories live on stage and see if I get the same kind of unnerved feeling that I got when I watched the film um, in the cinema. Like you said, when when we went to see it, I remember there was a good few moments where I was like, oh, no, I don't feel like I don't like this. This is it's, It wasn't jump scary. It was unsettling. Yeah. Which I think British horror does very well. It it stayed mm. with me afterwards. It just made me feel a little bit sick with I think nerves. It gave me like that pit of the stomach kind of uh, feeling for a it's lot of It's because it's more, more relatable, isn't it? Because it is British. Mm. Like we recognise the environments a lot more. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, American films tend to have a bit of a sheen to them, don't they? I mean, even yeah. with you mentioning, obviously, the likes of, of Trick or Treat, which we may talk a little bit more about, mm-hmm. it very much has this uh, nice nice look to it. Um, yeah, and I, I think, think had. when we do get, like, a good British horror, it hasn't got that sheen about it, and it's not got that kind of perfectly packaged, like, this is a pretty little horror film, there we go. Um, it it was... It, it is... It does make you feel a bit... Bleh. Mm. And that's a really poor description of it but it is <laughs> i do love it and it's definitely one to go and watch if you haven't watched it it's not scary in the kind of way that you would expect of a typical horror film i suppose there's not many jump scares in it it's very kind of supernatural rooted unnerving will stick with you and i i really enjoyed it it is definitely one of the better anthology films that we've got in uh, in the cinema world i think i think that's interesting isn't it because especially with anthologies with such a short period of time generally to to, to make a point per like per segment 
relying on a jump scare or something like that becomes a, a kind of a, a, an easy way out, an easy way to get mm. a scare. So the fact that it relies on atmosphere and it relies on that feeling of an of an ease kind of sets it apart. Yeah, um, and I think that's probably because it had a root in theatre as well. I think the storytelling comes from its kind of root in theatre. I think that scripts that start their lives as stage plays tend to have maybe a bit more of atmospheric storytelling about them because they're creating that whole atmosphere on a stage. You're asking your audience of a stage play to suspend their disbelief a little bit more than I think theatrical, like um, a cinematic audience you would because you can present everything there in front of them. Whereas when you're in a theatre, you know that you're watching you know, a stage and the set is being built on the stage in front of you rather than being rooted in more reality like a film would be. Does that make sense? I feel like I've just rambled and that didn't make any sense. <laughs> I think it made sense. I think as well <laughs> what you said about the atmosphere side of things is the fact that what's different about that anthology uh, with ghost stories is you're following the one central protagonist who is essentially the wraparound. You know, whereas in other films, they're completely separate stories. So there's new characters. So the atmosphere is allowed to build even though he's going through these different situations so i think that's what really works well and is quite maybe unique for that as an anthology film yeah definitely but um i think when i was looking a lot of the more well-known especially modern ones were american and i think ghost stories is probably the most famous apart from like an older one um like going back a few years in modern terms i think ghost stories is probably the only british anthology um, that's out there. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably going to be loads of people in the uh, comments of the podcast now, like, giving me hell, because there'll be some really obvious one that I've missed. But for me, I think, yeah, Ghost Stories definitely stands apart as one of the the better and uh, more successful horror anthologies that we've got. So going down a slightly different route then, I know uh, Laura's got one that she'd like to talk about. So mine is a little bit different because of, well, for those of you that don't know, which is probably all of you, um, I'm not a super horror fan. So I'm not quite in the same audience as you guys kind of are, really. So the one that I brought to the table is a little bit different. Um, so I've gone for a an anthology series instead of a film. And it is Inside Number Nine. So um, I brought it because... It's probably my favourite of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think it kind of fits with, it's not horror as such, but it is dark and it is sometimes a little bit unsettling. So I kind of feel like it fits with the, the things that you guys are going to talk about too. But um, I think really good choice, to be honest. Yeah, and British as well. So yeah. go British Yay. horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't have an awful lot to say because I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody if you haven't seen it already. But if you haven't, please do go back and watch. But um, it's just a lot to choose from, I find that there's, I think there's, is there three or four seasons now? But, yeah, I think it's about four now. Yeah. I think it's four, isn't it? Yeah. But um, it's just, there is definitely something for everybody. My main kind of touch point is that it mostly feels real. They're mm -hmm. all situations mm -hmm. that are kind of familiar to most of yeah. us. Yeah. Most of them are kind of set in either times that are like now or times that we've experienced and have knowledge of. So nothing is really yeah. that you watch is like outside of what we 
could possibly have experienced ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's why, to me, it's the it's the best thing for me to have brought because it's kind of like they do make me feel uneasy on a regular regular basis. Mm. I think they're quite puzzling as well. Like yeah. a lot of the episodes, it's like a puzzle to solve. Oh, and yeah, definitely. it's not in... I mean, what I liked about it, the one that springs to mind is the um, the illusionist and his wife. And I'm not going to say any more. I don't want to spoil it for anyone <laughs> that's not watched it. Um, but it's something to do with a safe. Do you guys know the episode yes, that I'm on about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember very, very watching good. that when I was on tour at the start of the year and I was, I was driving up and down the country and I was absolutely knackered. And we were watching it in a hotel room and we were just going through the episode and I was going, oh my God, oh my God. And I don't know if it was because I was really tired, but you kind of figure things out at the same time as the characters in it, which I find so rewarding when that happens. I think it's such good writing when that happens rather than you see a twist happening like a mile off. Yeah, I feel that way about the live one. Did you guys watch that one? Yeah. Oh my God. Where it was kind of like, I was really interested to find out how many people switched off and thought yeah. it, you know, it had gone wrong or whatever. And I just actually, in hindsight, when I look back now and think, oh, of course, of course it was part of it. Like at the time I fell for yeah. it, same as everybody else. Mm. But when you look back, you think, oh, obviously. And then yeah. actually when it all came together, I was like, you know what? That is amazing. That's actually, that's really got me. Like I feel, yeah. I felt at one point, I felt so like heartbroken for them because it had gone wrong. Yeah. And I was like, oh, actually, that's exactly such a what clever, they wanted me to feel. Yeah, Such a clever twist. But I think as, as well, kind of how you said, obviously, they're quite puzzling and, and, and you've hit the nail on the head. It's the writing, really, which just stands yeah. out for me. But it's one of those shows that you can pick up any episode. You don't really have to follow it. You can jump in at any season, any episode, and you're all right. Um, but a lot of them, as well as maybe being scary and unnerving, I think they really are quite emotional as well. Like they do so well to make you care about these characters. Um, the Christmas episode with Sheridan Smith always oh, sticks out yeah. to me. Like it's absolutely like heartbreaking that episode and it is so well done and it's completely, it, it, it's always like in the last five to 10 minutes, they'll just completely pull the rug from under you and you're just like, oh my God, this story is so much more than what I thought it was. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of in the same kind of caliber of writing as some of the episodes of black mirror yeah Um, i think that was another one i was yeah i was close to bring in i think Mm -hmm. there are i don't necessarily think with black mirror there's weak episodes i think they're all good but i definitely think there's a few that stand out like far far Mm. above the rest but i do think like it's the same caliber of of writing inside number nine and black mirror they're so Mm -hmm. just so well written and it just yeah amazing writing i think it's always a good sign isn't it where you wanted to uh, to tell us about one then laura and then you just said oh i can't really tell you much because i don't want to spoil it and that's Mm. the same for every single episode you can you can sort of give the setup and then to say any more is it's the fact that we all just know we all know yeah. the episode because they they are all so memorable. And that's what's so good about anthologies is, yeah, you're not going to please everyone with every episode, but there'll always be one that resonates with uh, an audience member the most. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah really good I, choice, Laura. Yeah, I just I just think they're so different from like, um, obviously, like the League of Gentlemen is 
lots mm. of things that they're quite famous, obviously, for doing. But it's kind of like, oh, I don't want people to think that if they don't like the League of Gentlemen, that they're not going to like Inside Number Nine it because is crazy that they're so different. From the same brains, though, isn't it? Yeah, because they're two completely different series that they've just that they've come from the same people. It's, yeah, yeah. But you can tell that they're horror fans as well, and I think that's so wonderful because yeah. they do it all with so much love, um, and that really shows through. Hey, so two yeah. cracking choices so far and two very different choices. Uh, Liam, I know you've brought one to the table. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we might have alluded to it uh, yeah. earlier on uh, because it's one of my favourites. I know it definitely is. I know it's one of Charlie's favourites as well. Uh, yeah. What are you going to be talking about, Liam? Uh, so I'm going to be bringing Creepshow to the table, the 1982 film by George A. Romero, written by Stephen King. Um, I think it's an absolute choice film i think it's absolutely brilliant um i think it's definitely a film that has built its cult status over the years i think at the time it was it was way ahead of its time but it was maybe not the most successful um considering who was involved but it's like now there's such a love for it i and i i just i mean we've got the new TV series as well on Shudder. So you can tell it's still such a hot topic that anthology kind of uh, stories and, and films are uh, really like hot at the moment. And I think it really stems from that um, and it being rooted in like comic books. I think the, um, the, the obviously the inspiration for, for that was really kind of things like Tales from the Crypt and those really old horror comics which were able to show kids maybe things in the 50s and 60s that they couldn't go to see on the big screen so then when we reached the 80s they were like okay we're going to show you this and we're going to do it with crazy colorful lighting ridiculous makeup effects um makeup effects by uh, tom savini no less as well which is just always amazing I just think, honestly, it's it's brilliant. And I think if you look at our early work as well with Super Freak Media, there's definitely an influence there, um, particularly with the, the lighting and may, even kind of the, I don't know, the, the 80s synth aesthetic that we'd kind of bring to it with the audio as well. So that to me is, is a film that stands out as a really great example of anthologies. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it is so of its time in the 1980s mm-hmm. but it is at the same time it's weirdly timeless because it mm-hmm. as you say it the audience that watches it back then um mm-hmm. enjoyed it and also people who pick it up new yeah also suddenly find a love for it, it it's not aged no it's not aged in a bad way no, i don't think no sorry yeah, i think um it, it's um, I, I'd probably describe it uh, as well. I mean, this is maybe another shout out to another uh, anthology film, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark as well, which is maybe obviously more recent. I think both that and Creepshow are both great gateway horror films. So maybe for a younger audience who are looking to get into the genre. I know I watched Creepshow particularly young and it isn't particularly scary. I mean, it has some really gross moments in it, but it's kind of like a gross moment that as a teenager, you'd be like, oh my God, that's so gross. It it's not something that, that's too much. It definitely does feel like, it, in a, not to belittle it, I mean what i'm about to say is careful where you tread (laughs) no 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 no, no. not not to be not belittle probably the wrong word but it feels almost kind of with scary stories to tell in dark and creep show feels a little bit like goosebumps adjacent Mm. in that kind of thing that that was like maybe 
in some places a little bit too much to be watching at the age you were maybe watching it and maybe at the time you were like ah this is all good fun and I'm really enjoying it it's not was that scary. a read I'm just having a great time was that time. 100% a read there <laughs> that was not a read that was not a read no 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 what I'm saying is like it's the kind of thing that like I know a lot of episodes of Goosebumps for me like at the time I was like this is great fun I'm having a wonderful time and then for some reason they'd stick with me and I'd end yes. up having some kind yeah. of strange nightmare it, it was like nightmare fuel without even realizing it because you were just yeah. enjoying watching it so much but i definitely watched some episodes of goosebumps and creep show way too young i think i mean um, there's there's some genuinely <laughs> kind of really scary ideas in there i mean the the visual that always kind of sticks with me is ted danson being like buried in the sand waiting for the tide to come in and then him literally being trapped and then just drowning and you're like that is kind of a terrifying thing to watch and fold. But as it's a British person, so you do lovely. that with your family at the beach on every beach holiday. Very slow. It. Yeah. It it's horrible. just Stephen King taking something that you know and love and then just going, Yeah, I'm actually just gonna um just twist yeah. this around. I also think it should get extra points for the fact that Stephen King is in the film. Yeah. And he brilliantly delivers the line, meteor shit <laughs> several <laughs> times. Um and then just basically, yeah, turns into a giant plant and kills himself. I think that's just just wonderful. Um it's so camp, uh, yeah, so isn't weird. It? It's yeah, so it is camp and it's I love very, it. very camp. Um I will say that I don't think that the new TV series is is necessarily on the same level i think it's lost a lot of the charm but i think that was maybe because it was in the 80s um mm-hmm. but i know that they've just released the animated special at halloween that's just come out um and it's got Kiefer sutherland and jerry king in there and i actually really really enjoyed that i thought it was it was quite good and i think it works well as an animated um kind of medium and also as a comic book medium and also as a film so verotica take note <laughs> wow we've come full circle very well connected there Liam. there, well there we go I, I will take my fee and leave thank you wait we're getting paid for this what Jono can sort that out all right okay <laughs> he shakes his head so on the subject of favorite anthology films we've all picked ours but on social media via instagram i did ask you guys at home what some of your favorite anthology films were and we did have quite a few suggestions some of them we have already covered um, but i did say that we would be giving you guys a shout out if you did give some of your suggestions to us um so first off we had uh johan underscore artwork johan good friend of the channel actually played mr creek uh, a few years back he suggested uh, VHS 2 as being one of his favourites I've got to say that I do agree with that one um, Mr Stitch Films uh, so Anthony from Mr Stitch Films uh, another local horror filmmaker he suggested Creep Show or Trick or Treat again two films we've, we've covered on this uh, on this podcast so obviously very popular um, we then had um, underscore dot Liam James so Liam has actually been in a few of our films most notably he starred as Pogo the Clown in All Hallows Evil um, he suggested Trick or Treat, so again, another firm favourite, I think, amongst horror fans there, and ABCs of Death, um, saying that that was quite a fun watch. The only other suggestions that we had uh, were from Nicole, underscore 587. She suggested Nightmare Cinema, which I have yet to check out, 
And um, my good friend Louise uh, Duke from school, um, she suggested Scary Movie, uh, which I guess is an anthology of sorts in the way that it does parody various horror films throughout the years. So thanks for the suggestions, guys. Much appreciated. On to the brand new interview segment of the podcast now. And Liam has been chatting to Michael Balif of Witching Season Films. Uh, he is the creator of the Witching Season anthology. See, it's like we planned it. We actually have an idea for a podcast and we go with it and it links and everything, honest. Um, and he's also just made the feature film They Live Insiders, which was actually adapted from one of the segments of the anthology. So we're huge fans of his work and he's very, very kindly agreed to be on the podcast. So over to Liam. Thanks for that, Jono. I'm now joined on the podcast by Michael Balif from Witching Season Films. Uh, me and Michael have actually known each other probably for a good couple of years, maybe, I think, I'd like to say maybe five plus years now through YouTube. I think so. Um, and funnily enough, uh, we were just talking, uh, this is the first time that we've actually got together, uh, kind of like one-on-one -on -one and had a bit of a chat, so I think this will be pretty cool uh, seeing what happens uh, today. Yeah. Um, so I guess, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. If you just want to introduce yourself, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you guys do at Witching Season Films. Sure, yeah. So I'm a filmmaker based out of Utah in the United States. And we, uh, my, my crew and I, we call ourselves the Witching Season Films team. Um, we, we primarily focus on Halloween-themed or Halloween-centric sort of video visual content and and some audio content as well but yeah for us it's all about capturing the halloween atmosphere and that the the kind of the the feeling that comes with the season mm -hmm. so that's sort of what spawned that and uh yeah had a blast just making stuff and yeah, <laughs> it seems I, like a lot of people out there are into the same kind of thing. So, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll say that I've had a blast watching your stuff through the years, and um, I think that's part of the reason that we maybe clicked and kind of got to know each other was because we were both very much into the nostalgia of Halloween and horror as well, in particular. Um, right. So, I kind of guess leading on to that, what what was it particularly about horror that piqued your interest then as as a filmmaker? It's a good question. I think, I mean, it's, it's been with me since I was a kid, you know, I've always mm -hmm. watched horror films and I, um, I think there's something I, it always for me seems to go back to the atmosphere that lent that the genre lends itself to and, mm -hmm. um, the feeling that these movies can have and sort of what you can create within that world that you can't, I mean, you can do it in any other genre if you really want to push it, but it just naturally kind of comes with the territory with horror. You know? Yeah. You can get the fog rolling through the background. You can you can do really interesting things with lighting and things. So creatively, once I started getting into filmmaking, horror pretty quickly became something I was interested, you know, interested in exploring more of. So everyone's kind of different, I guess, in how they get into filmmaking. I think some people fall into it. Um, some people obviously study uh, for some time. How was it that you that you found yourself getting into filmmaking? What was it that started it for you? Yeah, you know, I. I've been thinking about this a bit because I, I, so I recently went through and I like digitized my parents' uh, old family home videos that were shot on like high eight tapes, right? Uh, the old camcorder style tapes. And uh, <laughs> it's funny that we would, you know, we would, I would watch as I was digitizing them, we'd see like a family birthday party or something that my dad would film. And then soon after you could tell that I got my hands on the camera and I was just filming random stuff around the house. So I think like, Early on, it started with just an interest in the technology side and like 
the excitement of playing with a camcorder and then watching it back. It was like magic. Nowadays, kids grow up and they have a, a cell phone that'll shoot 4K high quality video and they can, it's like, it's, it was such a novel idea back then. Um, so that, that kind of started the interest there. And then I really discovered, it's funny, I was thinking about this as well. There, there was a website, I don't know if you're familiar with it, they're a UK based digital, uh, like a software company called FX Home. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard the name, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so FX Home, uh, they had like a, it was like a special effects software that they sold, and I, I kind of came across it at one point on the internet, and I, uh, I bought it, and I was playing around with that software, and they, the, the website has a section called the cinema, at least they used to, mm. where users could make a film and upload it. And it was just the, the whole idea of a short film was so cool to like see, oh, you can make a little mini movie and you can have like your credits at the end and you can, <laughs> it feels like yeah. a movie, but it's small and it's achievable. Like people like me are doing it. So like that yeah. idea sort of struck me and I began, uh, I made a couple little shorts and put them on that cinema site. And it was cool because it had like, there was like a section where you could upload your own poster. So it's like, ooh, I can make wow. a poster for my movie. And like people <laughs> can click on it and then people would review it. So it was basically like YouTube um, before YouTube was even a thing. Yeah, I, I was so, going to say, was this pre-YouTube then that, that this was yeah. something for you? Yeah. Wow. That, that's so, so cool. That was, that was like the start. I was like, this is really cool. I can make something. And like it, it expanded what you can share beyond just like physically showing someone in your family this mm. tape that you recorded yeah. or made video on you could actually upload it to the site and get response back from users. i think there's there's only so many times that your family are going to be kind of excited about seeing you make a terrible film so i completely yeah. get that so yeah no that that sounds that sounds really cool i think yeah. that's something that's really unique about filmmaking as kind of um whether it's a hobby or a profession i feel like when you get to know people their stories are always so different um and that that one's a really really cool story that that feels really really awesome to hear that so thank you um i know we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier that uh horror for you it's more about capturing the atmosphere and of course we've just had halloween kind of uh, that's been and gone this year so right. kind of speaking about um nostalgia I, I consider one of my gateways into horror to be the goosebumps book series and i know for a fact that you're a big fan uh, of that series oh, yeah. as well so is um is there a particular goosebumps book that stands out to you as one of your favorites you know, i'm testing I, you now <laughs> I, the first one i think of is is the haunted mask just because it's yes i believe it was the first episode of the show as well produced and released the spin-off TV series and so that one comes to mind but then when I think a little deeper Welcome to Dead House is the next one which is the first mm -hmm. the first book of the series and I reread that the other like pretty recently and it's amazing how dark that one gets compared I think mm -hmm. the other ones as they went on R.L. Stein sort of realized you know, <laughs> how to write for children more, yeah. more you know, but yeah, that one had, there's like a part where the one of the characters um think their like their face melts off or something and like the way he describes it is like pretty grisly you know? yeah it's, it's kind of it was kind of surprising <laughs> but I, I love that title welcome to dead house and i love the cover of that book yeah so 
I think the covers of the Goosebumps books were like just something that all horror fans could just gravitate towards. I know whenever we were in like the school library, everyone else would be like reading stuff that was probably age appropriate. And then I would, I'd be like going for like the really dark horror stuff and finding Goosebumps <laughs> where I could. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not the yeah. only one. <laughs> it's like, is there a book that you think of? Like when you think of the series, what's the first one? I think I can remember that the um, the cover art for Deep Trouble used to really kind of scare me because oh, okay. um, I, I know that there was two. There was the one with kind of the octopus tentacles and then there's the one with the hammerhead shark, which has like really big teeth, which like yeah. always scared me. Um, and I think the Monster Blood series as well, I always kind of dug oh, okay. because I thought that that would be quite a scary thing if that happened. I, I know this might be sacrilegious, but I, I wasn't a big fan of Slappy as a character. I didn't oh, really yeah. like it. I think it's because I'd maybe already been aware of like Chucky. So to me, that was a lot scarier than, than Slappy. But I, I kind of know that he's he's iconic uh, in his own it's, right. It's, it's interesting that he's become sort of the mascot for Goosebumps. For like, sure. I think there would be other... Yeah. And then and then Curly, who I'm not even Curly's like the skeleton character, and I don't yeah. think does he even appear in a, a book anywhere. I don't he think he does. Appear, but I think it was like more yeah. merchandise and stuff, wasn't it? I know they just I, created this skeleton. It's kind of <laughs> inter- it's interesting. I mean, the merchandise that they made for Goosebumps, like I, I'm looking at some I have on my shelf. That I just I kind of collect <laughs> some of it, and uh, they made like an astounding amount of different. Like there's like alarm clocks and all sorts of yeah. crazy things that you can find on eBay. So they did. They did well with the, <laughs> all the merchandise and everything. I still think, if if I'm correct, I still think it's like the best-selling book series, isn't it? Like, uh, I know that he's certainly like one of the most best-selling authors, uh, even more yeah. so than like Stephen King, just because of Goosebumps. Right. So that's yeah, that's incredible to me. I think that's amazing. Go horror. <laughs> yeah, go. I suppose on the subject of kind of favorites and and things, then there, um, I'm obviously a huge fan. Of, of your work and Witching Season films as a whole. I know it's not just yourself who directs uh, and creates all of the episodes. Um, is there a particular film that you guys have made that maybe sticks out as a favourite of yours that you're particularly proud of? Well, first of all, thank you. And likewise, I'm a big fan of Super Freak Media and what you guys do. Like, thank I, you. Every time I see your posts on like Instagram or just the way that you brand your content, it's just like you have that locked down. It's so... <laughs> so good it's inspiring to see what you do so the the respect is mutual um thank you so much thank you (laughs) for me i think i'm i'm really proud of the the short film uh they live inside us that we did it's the fourth episode of the witching season horror anthology that we made Mm -hmm. and it that's the that concept spun off the feature-length version that we just released um but the short film really pushed me I think about the process of making it and getting finally getting it to a point where it felt right because this is an idea that I'd had for a number of years. You know, yeah. I'd been trying to find a way to get this made into something, and finally, sort of cracking it as the sh- this short film version was. Uh, it felt like a, a pretty, pretty big accomplishment. So. Yeah. That's that's the one I think we're most proud of. Stands out. I think it's probably one of the longer episodes as well that you've uh, you've released, and I think I could definitely tell watching it uh, when you first released it. There was a lot more that I think you wanted to do with that story, uh, and I am very much glad that you you did. I, I think it's yeah, it's, it's awesome. Going obviously from that side of things, when you're making the films for Witching Season films, and indeed the feature film that you've just released that you just mentioned, obviously they live inside us. Do you DP as well as direct the films that you make? 
I, I do, yeah. I So I shot uh, the full, all five episodes of the Witching Season anthology that we made. Okay. Uh, James Morris directed three of them, mm-hmm. and then I directed the other two. And then I DP'd and directed the feature. So it's a lot to try to do at once. And yes. I, I was nervous about doing that for the feature especially because I knew the scope would be much bigger than anything else we'd done. Yeah. But that was one of the things I thought about as I wrote the script as a way that I could also try to pull this off and, and maybe not expand it so far that it was just beyond reach to, to shoot myself. It was a conscious thing, but I, I was still nervous about it and I'm still kind of surprised that I... Uh, was crazy enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's a lot of responsibility to take on to do both of those roles because um, essentially, yeah, you, you're you're responsible for having the vision inside your head, but also getting that vision out in front of an audience as well. So right. I, I I must say I must I would have felt the pressure if I'd have done that as well. Um, I think one of the things that stands out to me uh, about your work and with you saying that you're the one who's shot pretty much everything then there is how filmic and cinematic you guys have, have managed to make your films look right from the start. Is there a particularly kind of setup that you have, any particular gear that you use? I mean, for example, what camera do you guys shoot on usually? Yeah, um, we shot this the witching season on the Blackmagic Pocket cinema camera. Okay. And I, uh, uh, kind of out of necessity, needed a new camera for the feature for mm-hmm. They Live Inside Us because that one sort of... the. <laughs> There was an incident filming the witching season where the the camera fell off the tripod and the HDMI port broke off inside the camera. Oh, jeez! So there was no no longer an option to use <laughs> an external monitor. So I I ended up buying the Sony A7S II, okay. and I've really loved that camera. That's what what I shot They Live Inside Us on. Wow! And okay. I, I thought of that one because it's a really really great in low light, and I knew that our yeah. We'd be shooting it primarily at night inside a dark haunted house, and I wanted to just have that ability to, to crank up our settings in the camera yeah. to see as much as possible whenever it was needed. I still wanted to make sure we'd lit as best as we could, but um, <laughs> yeah. So the, those those are the two cameras really that I've, I've worked with, and I'm now starting to like look at other gear for whatever is to come next, you know. Yeah. And, a lot of people are so uh, hung up on what the gear is, you know, like mm. what your camera mm. is. And like the A7S II, when we shot They Live Inside Us, was a, a fairly outdated camera by that mm-hmm. that point, you know. And same with the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera. Like when we shot, uh, I think it was our, uh, when we shot The Witching Season, it was maybe already a few years old at that stage. So trying to stay on top of gear, I'm sure you can relate, is like yeah. such a... Uh, just a slog you know it's just it's it's a never you can never win that um, no as soon as you use one thing I think something else comes along doesn't it and it offers twice as many things so you're just like I'm just going to pick a camera and make something guys just stop that's what you have to do you really yeah. have to it's like it's it's almost more important I mean I think it is more important to be familiar with your gear and know what mm. you can do with it yeah. having this amazing piece of equipment that you don't even know how to use or you're not really capable of I've just seen that happen a lot. You'll see sh- films that are shot on like a red or a very mm-hmm. expensive cinema camera, and you know it, it. It doesn't. That doesn't reflect itself in the final product. No. So good. But I, I like. I always really like the thought of pushing everything beyond what we have, whether that's the budget or the gear or whatever it is. Like I like knowing that we're stretching rather yes. than not achieving the fullest potential of what this is. So yeah. I like that. 
so it's time to talk about a, a project, I suppose, in a bit more detail. They Live Inside is the feature film that you guys have just released. Uh, and as I said, from the outset, I could really tell it was a, a product, project that was really driven by passion by you guys. Do you want to tell us a little bit about They Live Inside Us? Because I know it did start life, as you said, then as a short film. Sure, yeah. So it's a, it's a story about a writer who sort of takes himself into a scary scenario. He spends the night in a notoriously haunted house known as the Booth House, hoping to find inspiration to sort of push him his way through this writer block, writer's block that he's been dealing with um, ever since the, the death of his wife. So the, the that seed of an idea sort of came to me years and years ago, actually pre the witching season before even starting that project. And I thought, well, I, I'm going to write this feature and get get a feature going. I was just like probably like you, you know, wanting there, there's always this sort of end goal, I think, for an, a, a filmmaker coming up to make a feature film. That's kind uh-huh. of where your sights are set in many ways. So. Uh, I wanted to do it and I started trying to write it and just could not get it written in a way that it felt like it was really capturing what I aspired for it to be. It was a fairly complex idea with a a pretty big twist that comes towards the end and Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't couldn't (laughs) pull it off. So I thought, okay, let's, let's hold on to this for now and we'll, we'll do some other stuff. And it just kind of always sat with me. So when it you know when it kind came time to making the witching season this anthology that I made, um, I was conscious of that and I knew as as we started moving, you know from the first to the second episode I thought well, let's let's do this as a short film and try it and mm. and hopefully that will help me to sort of unlock a little bit more of what's missing maybe from mm. what I hope this thing will be so um, we made it as a short uh, fourth episode of the witching season and it it really did allow that to happen it's yeah. like without the short there's really no way i think i would have been capable of getting it written into the feature and like sort of it, it really allowed me to like figure out certain things that i almost had to go through the process of making the short first yeah. to be able to to sort of figure that out so yeah it was a necessary then, yeah. stepping stone uh, that that short film really wasn't it fit for you guys um i mean i think you see that more more often than not a lot of short films are now almost proof of concepts for much bigger ideas and studios obviously then take those on and then turn them into something i know that there was the short film larry that's obviously just been released as come play hasn't it um so right. it's uh, it's inspiring to see that these things are happening and um, particularly for people that we might be connecting with as as well through social media so it's it's exciting to see i think with super freak media on our side our next step is very much as you said to get in the direction of making our first feature um so other than i guess it kind of being this end goal that everyone aspires to was there anything else that really made you take that leap uh, as a filmmaker yeah I, I think also like so the witching season was was a really great launch pad for they live inside as the feature because it because it was a sh- you know a, a, a series of short films, mm-hmm. we could compile it together into a singular project, which was nice. It almost works as a feature in itself, yeah. In that way, but it still was lacking sort of this like I don't know. As you're coming up making movies, you want to be taken seriously as well. You, yeah. You know when when someone asks you, "What do you do?" Oh, I make movies, and you know, oh, they're on YouTube, and you can watch them there for free. You know, there's a certain <laughs> uh, 
sort of dynamic shift that happens when you make a when you're making a feature you're fundamentally making a product yeah. to be sold and consumed you know yeah uh unless you're going to release it for free but most people aren't going to release their their features for free mm-hmm. so that was a big thing was like to take a a major step in that direction say like this is serious we are making real movies we're real professional filmmakers and yep. we're going to make an actual film <laughs> and you know and and it's like it, it, i can't imagine starting there from square one though it's like mm. you have to go for me at least and like those stepping stones you talked about you kind of have to go through that to get yeah yourself ready to take that next step so yeah it gives you time to hone your craft but as you said also if you have got these ideas that are with you for years it gives you the time to explore those and not feel like you have to just rush and and get something down on a page that will fill 90 minutes say so no i I completely agree with you on that um in terms of obviously the differences then what would you say was the biggest difference between uh, when you've shot the films for witching season but then when you you changed to shooting this feature film yeah one, one of the bigger things was just trying to be a little bit more um consistent with we, we still shot this feature on weekends so we didn't mm-hmm. schedule it out like a normal feature would schedule out like a 30-day shoot or whatever it is um, but there was more attention and focus put into that side of things like tr- at least trying to do better with that so we we had a, one new thing that we we did was we we worked with some actors that actually lived out of state so they lived in california here in the u.s and they flew out to utah where we were shooting for you know a set number of days so we really had to be on the ball about yeah scheduling with them and making sure that we had everything we needed with them before they left um so that that was like a, a pretty big learn you know learning curve there to figure that out and make sure we had what we needed especially like with this feature it was still continuing to evolve like I had written the screenplay and had like a quote finished version of it but there was still I knew moving into it like we just had to start but there were still certain things that needed a little bit a little bit more work kind of needed to figure it out as we went so dealing with that and then having people coming in that you know that like we knew what we wanted to get with them for the most part but there was still certain questions about things floating around i guess there probably always is we mm-hmm. just had to kind of trust that what what was down on the script and sort of what i guess my intuition was 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 going to be right for it yeah. so that that was a uh, you know a pretty major thing and then this time you know we did a crowdfunding campaign as well so we had a little bit of money to work with we're mm-hmm. used to working with practically zero budgets like with the witching season and stuff so we we had a little something which was nice and that that allowed us to push things a little bit through the further with like the makeup effects and the core and stuff like that so i'd probably say around 70 percent of filmmaking is actually problem solving more than anything else because you do find these moments like you said you can schedule you can prepare you can do everything right but when you're on the day there's going to be something that maybe doesn't go the way that you planned was there any particular challenge with they live insiders that you guys had to overcome yeah there there were uh but so the, the great thing about doing an indie film like this and sort of shooting on weekends was I could be editing it as we were moving. Mm-hmm. So I was editing the movie, like we'd get the footage from Friday, Saturday, and then I'd edit that week and then we'd come back the next weekend and, and continue. So I could see what we shot in real time and like know how the the film was editing together as we would go. And one, the first thing I thought of when you said that was there was one shoot one weekend where we shot this entire sequence of our main character where he he first enters this spooky old house there's like a thunderstorm 
going. There's rain. We had sprinklers to create rain, and um, pretty, you know, fairly uh, complicated in the way that we shot it. And it's primarily lit with a flashlight that he's using as he walks through the house. And we get all this footage, we shoot it, and I edit it. And then that, by the end of the week after it had finished it, we looked at it, and we could tell pretty quickly that the flashlight was like flickering. There was a weird flicker that was created. I think the frequency of the light. And I just couldn't see it when we were shooting. So, like, all of that footage was unusable. We had to reshoot oh, it. Nice. And the new flashlight we used was, like, for, for whatever reason, we got it was, like, a different color. So if you actually watch that opening sequence in the movie, there are some of the old shots left in there. There's a couple where the flashlight is switching from an, an orange flashlight to a black flashlight. Oh, okay. Really <laughs> we, found a, we found a flashlight that wasn't creating that problem. So that, that was nice. But there's just... There's just things, you know, things that, like, like he said, it is, it is just problem solving, you know. Yeah. Um, trying to think of any other examples. I mean, it was, it was a very difficult movie to make. There is constant problems. <laughs> but, uh, well, what you guys made was absolutely fantastic, and I think that's a testament to you guys and and you, your guys' ability to overcome those problems in a creative way. So, I will definitely be rewatching the film and checking out that flashlight now. So, thank you for that. Thanks, yeah. Um, so now that the film's been released, um, from what I've seen, uh, mainly obviously online, the reviews have been overwhelmingly positive. Um, that must make you guys so proud, right? Like, I mean, you, all that hard work and people are loving it, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's it's awesome that people have responded to it very positively for the most part. There's definitely the, the fair share of negative reviews out there, but <laughs> it's uh, – and that, that has been surprisingly more difficult to deal with than I thought. <laughs> like, I've always heard people talk about – you know, you'll get a bunch of really good reviews and the first <laughs> negative one that comes in will just like crash. Yeah. The ship. <laughs> I'm like, that's not going to happen to me. And then it totally happened to me over the last month or so. But, um, no, I, I, I'm really proud of it. Like I, 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 our team and I, like we really felt by the end of it that we had made the best thing we possibly could. Like we pushed yeah. ourselves. There's no question that this is the best thing we could have made given what we had to yeah. work with. And this is a, you know, this is a $10,000 budget movie. This is a, this is a tiny movie, but we, it really is it, uh, something that was created out of passion and love and a really strong team of people that just wanted to make the best thing that we could. And yeah. there isn't a better feeling than knowing that we, you know, we were walking away from this feeling that way about it. Like mm. we did what we could. This is the best thing that we could do. You know, it's I, awesome that people have responded well, considering all that. I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head there, really. I think filmmaking as a whole, even telling stories in whatever medium, is quite um, a humbling and it, you can feel quite vulnerable doing that sort of thing. And I think, as you said, uh, I definitely recognise that feeling as to you'll get quite nice positive feedback for things you've made. But the first negative comment that you get you you're kind of like okay okay should i have done this differently or you're never going to be able to please everyone i think dude that's even it. a thumbs down on youtube oh 100 you're like what it's like it's so silly you know, but like our perception of the positive the negative is, is as a creative you know as someone yeah. that's putting yourself out there with a project that you've slaved over for you know for mm -hmm. who knows how long and and especially if it's like it's talking about really important internal themes or dilemmas that you're dealing with as a human. You're, you're expressing yourself and, and opening yourself up in a way that a lot of other people in their daily life don't do. You yeah. Know? So it, to have, you know, to deal with the negativity with that is, <laughs> is difficult, but yeah, but, 
again, like that for me, the thing that saves me with that is like, I know this is the best we could have done. Yeah. There's no question. So I'm, I'm happy. Like ultimately I'm, I'm happy with it, you know? Well, you, you guys should be. I think it's a, it's a fantastic uh, film. And I mean, I, I do want to say um, I absolutely love it. And it's definitely a film that I think I'll be adding to the watch list every every Halloween. So um, not giving too much away. Obviously, you've kind of given an overview uh, of the film. Um, but for those who've maybe not seen the film, um, what's wrong with you, first of all, if you haven't? But uh, They Live Inside Us follows uh, a central character, I believe, uh, it's Jake, isn't it? The, the the writer in the film, um, played brilliantly, as you said, by James Morris. Um, he's looking for inspiration, and as he begins to find uh, these ideas and these stories, um, the film kind of follows with these segments of horror. So each story he writes then plays out in its own segment. So I think first off, I, I know that you said this was an idea you've had for quite some time. I think it's absolutely genius, and quite honestly, I, I kick myself for the fact that I didn't think of of it to be uh, to be quite, quite honest with you. Um, I imagine that, that that must have been quite a lot of fun for you as a director to explore these different aspects of horror. Was there a particular segment of the of the film that you really enjoyed shooting, or that is, is particularly your favourite? Um, yeah, I, I think the scarecrow one is probably my favorite. Um, I just loved being able to shoot in the cornfield and at this this farm where this there's this old barn that we used and um, and this I mean this isn't about the shooting but the score in that section of the movie is like so good. It's my it's probably my favorite part of music that Randon Randon Graves who did the score um, just killed it with that that section. But um, it was it was fun uh, <laughs> shooting outdoors in daylight too because. Uh, the rest of the movie is primarily at night that was that was really fun and and working you know it's like it, it does kind of go back to goosebumps like the the, the scarecrow uh, <laughs> episode of goosebumps yeah. that i love <laughs> and being able to work within that so that that was awesome so yeah the scarecrow sec- segment of the film was probably one that really stuck out to me as one of my favorites as well anything pumpkin related is is always a, a winner there and um, did the anthology star makeup of the story help then with the shooting of the film for you guys it, it did because it, it was really nice to be able to get away from the house for certain moments and go out and do these little one-off, you know, episodic sort of feeling sections of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that really was nice. And we, we would usually schedule them and shoot them like within a couple days and um, just kind of bang out, the, you know, get it, get it done pretty mm-hmm. quickly. And then so much of the, the time was just spent in the house. It was really nice to get out and do that. So, yeah. Perfect. Uh, I mean, speaking of anthologies, then this month's podcast episode that you you're actually on is going to be all about horror anthologies, uh, which in season films and indeed the feature film you've just released is, uh, of course, an anthology then of sorts in structure. Do you have a favorite anthology film yourself? Oh, man, um, I was so I just watched a new one the other day that I really loved called The Mortuary Collection. Yes, I Shutter. watched that this week as well. Yeah, what, what did you think of it? <laughs> I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I thought it was brilliant. Um, absolutely, uh, full horror fan service, a hundred percent. But yeah, please tell me, tell me what you thought. Yeah, no, I I loved it. I loved the different stories and the look of it was just gorgeous. And it just yeah, it, that's what's great about anthologies, right? Is you can you can tell such a variety of different styles and types of stories and bring them all together into one cohesive project. Mm -hmm. I think that's to me, the strongest appeal of the anthology. And that's certainly why I wanted to do the witching season as an anthology. It's 
explore you know a sci-fi horror and then mix that with a slasher film and put them all together but <laughs> um yeah the the mortuary collection just felt like it was it really understood what genre fans wanted yep you 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 know, you get a lot of really interesting and cool uh, practical effects and creatures, and it's just it had just just great vibes and the overall the atmosphere and the feeling was of it was just I don't know I just kind of fell in love with it right away. So. Before we got together then on this interview, I asked you what your favorite horror film was. Now I know as a filmmaker, anyone asking you what what your favorite film is in whatever genre is always a difficult question, but you were able to reduce this down to Sleepy Hollow, uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, released back in 1999. So what is it about that film that you particularly enjoy? Oh, man. Is there another movie that exists that is more atmospheric than that movie? I mean, it's so... (laughs) um, It's just dripping with uh, Halloween and this... uh, in a way, it's in a way, it's kind of a throwback in and of itself uh, to like the old Hammer films, you know, mm-hmm. the, the old yeah. Hammer horror films. But it's so it, you know, I, I always I grew up loving the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the cartoon. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it, and <laughs> so yeah, when you're asking me to pick a a favorite horror film, like it's so tough to do, but that one as far as like influencing me as a person is probably the most influential. We, I, the cartoon, it started with the cartoon. I grew up loving that. And then when Tim Burton's film came out in 1999, I mean, I was too young to see it in the theater, but I remember, so my mom used to work at a movie theater when I was a kid. That's so she cool. didn't let me go see it, but <laughs> I remember when it was coming out, there was a guy in the parking lot dressed as the headless horseman riding around on a horse. Oh my <laughs> Lord. Like, That's so good. Like they, they never do stuff like that anymore. So that that was just like so. Anyway, that that was awesome. But um, when it finally came out on VHS tape, <laughs> I remember uh, calling Walmart here in in the U.S. and uh, asking if they had it. And then my dad took me in to to go pick it up, and I I bought it on VHS. And and yeah, it's just it's uh, it's a reimagining of the original story, but mm-hmm. it's. Um, it's just a really fun, again, atmospheric movie. It's not really scary. There are certain moments that are pretty creepy, like a lot of the flashback, like dream sequences that yes. uh, Ichabod has, yeah. are quite terrifying. But um, it, it's just a really fun Halloween movie. There, it's like it's one of those movies every year. Once we start moving towards October, it kind of kicks things off for me. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're moving into watching <laughs> Halloween films. So, yeah, I just love it. Yeah, I think uh, it is a fantastic film. And I think your use of the word dripping there was very, very apt for that film because there is a lot of blood. Um, so seeing as you picked Sleepy Hollow then, it's my turn to now play Quizmaster on the podcast and see if you actually really know your stuff about this film. So I did warn you that there was going to be a quiz. Um, what okay. we're wanting to do on the podcast with our guests is ask uh, our guests five questions about their favourite film and then we're going to keep track of uh, who's doing who's doing well. Whether you guys win anything other than bragging rights is yet to be decided, but I'm sure we'll announce a winner at, uh, at some okay. point. So without further ado, let's get to the quiz. Okay, question number one. Let's, let's dip the lights. We're in quiz mode. Okay. 
Which longtime collaborator of Tim Burton cameos as the Burgomaster in the town hall slash courtroom scene at the start of the film? Mm. <laughs> I know the actor, I just don't know his name. I don't know his name. <laughs> I know who it is. I can see him. Uh, it, he's in Van Helsing, uh, right? If I'm thinking of the correct person, um, uh, maybe maybe someone. Uh, you, you, I'll give you a clue. You mentioned Hammer okay. Horror Films, so maybe someone from oh, that era. Are we talking Christopher Lee? We're talking Christopher Lee. Okay, sorry. I'll give um, you the point. Ding I, ding ding. I Points think, for everyone. So, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, Christopher Lee. Perfect. So you're one for one currently. Okay. okay. What uh, question number two? What is the color of the bird on Ichabod's thaumatrope? I believe I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> it's yeah. It's uh, it's crimson or red, right? It is indeed. It is indeed. Uh, a bit of trivia for you, which you most likely know, seeing as you're a big fan of the film. But uh, when I was doing my research uh, for this quiz, I actually learned that the film was shot almost entirely using a blue filter to obviously get its quite distinct look. So for the blood to appear as red as it does in the film on camera, uh, the liquid that they had to use was actually closer to orange in uh, in colour than oh, it was interesting. red. So. That's cool. I didn't know they use a blue filter either. That's really... Yeah, I suppose it was kind of in the days before colour correction really came into to play, wasn't it? So a lot was done more in camera and with filters and stuff then. So Right. I, uh, I know I that he wanted to shoot it in black and white originally mm. too, but they... I mean, it's pretty much compromised there. on that. It's yeah. pretty much there in but a lot of scenes. That look is so <laughs> awesome, though. Like, mm. I, I'm actually like, I, I'm glad they didn't go black and white because it it just has it's even more unique. Like the yeah. faces are gray, but then you have the pops of color with the red, yeah. and it's yeah, it's great. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, question number three: Who was initially offered the role of Katrina Van Tassel, played in the film by Christina Ritchie, but turned this role down? Mm, that one I just don't know (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested to know though who it was okay Uh, are are we passing on this one I'm passing okay Uh, it was Winona Ryder oh okay so that makes sense I I think yeah I could see it happening but I'm very much glad that Christina Ritchie played uh, played that character Um, moving on then to question number four Ray Park was the fighting and stunt double for the Headless Horseman. What other notable villain is he perhaps most well-known for playing? That would be Darth Maul. Fantastic. (laughs) You've got another point. Well done. Um, Yeah, Ray Park was famously known for playing um, Darth Maul. Not for playing Ray Park again. He's (laughs) known for playing Darth Maul (laughs) in The Phantom Menace and I believe uh, the solo, uh, Han Solo, solo film. Um, Last question then. Uh, question number five. In the opening scene of the film, we watch Peter Van Garrett meet his end when he's decapitated in a cornfield. Blood splatters from the attack and hits a pumpkin-headed scarecrow. The exact same scarecrow appears in which other Tim Burton film? Uh, that'd be The Nightmare Before Christmas? It would indeed. It would indeed. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> you've done incredibly well uh, on, on this quiz. Uh, I believe you've got four out of five. So you were going to be top of, of the leaderboard anyway, because, of course, you were our first <laughs> guest. But uh, you've definitely earned that spot. So uh, so well done. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it, there'd be nothing worse than you picking this as your favourite film and then getting zero questions. So oh, my gosh. You did well Yeah, there. the pressure's on. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so wrapping things up as I said earlier I've, I have been a huge fan of yours uh, and Witching Season films for quite some time um, in terms of going forward in the future you've just released your feature film is there anything that you guys, you can tell us about that you've maybe got planned next um, or what can we expect from Witching Season in the future yeah um, you know there's there's a, there's definitely projects in the works that have not been announced yet and I'm cautious to do that until we really have a solid plan this <laughs> this last uh year has just been crazy I'm, I'm sure as you know you know as you can relate with uh trying to get projects going with with everything yep. going on um so there would you know there's there's certain things we're working on but i i don't not quite ready to announce anything yet but we will okay. be saying soon on like on our socials like what you know what we've got planned here coming into 2021 yeah i'm just kind of waiting to see what what it looks like here in the next couple months maybe with as far as when we can really get back into yeah production and and honestly like for me i've sort of reached a, a good point to sort of step back and reflect a little bit about you know where we, we sort of mm. accomplished this goal that was always sort of the thing you know this making a feature was always this mammoth task that needed to be done and then now we've finished it so it's like are we you know I have other ideas for features. I have other ideas for expanding the witching season into a second season and uh, some other smaller like side projects. So I'm sure all of that will eventually uh, <laughs> come in to exist at some point. But Perfect. Yeah. I think that's that's a safe uh, a safe way to be because I think it is uncertain for a lot of us going into next year. Um, but uh, quite honestly, I can't wait to see what you guys do next. And uh, you'll always have fans of uh, with us here at Super Freak Media. So thank you for creating uh, the stuff that you do. Um, I do just want to say a massive thank you, Michael, for coming onto the podcast uh, again. Uh, it really means a lot. We're huge fans, and hopefully, obviously, we can get together uh, again in the future. And thank you. And the again, like I'm, I'm such a fan of what you guys do. And I just watched Blood Money the other day, and I just loved it. You, you guys really knocked it out of the park with that, uh, with that short. It was really terrifying and very <laughs> creative and inventive with what you did, essentially in a single location. Like it was just really well done. So I'm always looking out for what you guys do next. I'm a subscriber, and I'm, uh, I'm ready to see what you guys do. And I, I really hope you guys do a feature because I'm sure that will be just amazing. So. Yeah, we'll we'll have to drop you a line, get some tips, see how you guys did it, and see uh, see if we can uh, maybe do some of the same. But uh, thank you sure. so so much. That means so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Lots of great insights there about moving on from shorts to feature films and just getting things done, making things work. Um, oh, sorry. There's a little um, there's a scratching in the corner. Oh, not again. You need to get this scene too, Jono. The thing is, I get one corner scene too, and then there's another one that just sort of pops up, and it's just a constant kind of like whack-a-mole. You just get one, and then another one pops up. It's He's here again. Uh, it's Nicolas Cage. Are you talking about? It's Nicolas Cage. He's back. It's Nicolas Cage. Oh, no. It's Cage Corner. Of course. This, this time... It's not going to be a, a cage-related fact. It's not going to be a cage-related anecdote. I just would like to give you a brief update on what uh, our Lord and Saviour, Nicky C, has been up to. <laughs> Do you have a minute to talk about our Lord and Saviour, Nicholas Cage? <laughs> just a picture of his face. <laughs> um, so, he's got some new films coming out on the horizon. There's one that's just come out in which 
It looks incredible. I think he was probably there for a couple of days of shooting. Um, so it was basically they made the most of having him there. Uh, so his head's the biggest on the poster and he's in it for two seconds. Biggest yeah. on the poster. He's got the same hair pretty much that he had in Con Air, only it's obviously <laughs> Excellent. receded I'm already a fan. since then. Um, it stars him for 20 minutes or so. Uh, it stars... Tony Jaa, who is the guy from uh, the Ong Bak movies. Okay, um, interesting. So apparently it's got some really good fight scenes in it. It's called Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Is this, is this the alien one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aliens. I, I know about aliens. this one. I know about this one. Yeah. Um, okay. Like, I'm genuinely excited for this one. I don't think it's going to be shit. Is it out already? So. I'm pretty sure it's out. I'm pretty sure Okay, well, we definitely available. need to talk about that like, November at some 20. point. From the director oh, okay. of Kickboxer Retaliation. Ah, uh, that guy. Yes, yeah. I know that guy. No, yeah. genuinely, the new Kickboxer films are oh, okay. spicy. In the, in the sense that they've got really good fight scenes and stuff like that. So he knows how to make an action scene. So adding Nicolas Cage into that can only be a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. However, mm. a more cinematic release is on the horizon for Nicolas Cage. Not inspired by, but definitely taking some uh, cues from Five Nights at Freddy's, is the wonderfully titled Willy's Wonderland, which has uh, <laughs> just had a trailer drop, a 16-second teaser trailer, which just tells you everything you need to know about the film. <laughs> uh, yep. In which Nicolas Cage stars as a janitor at a uh, um, an amusement park where he's staying overnight and the animatronics and things come alive and appear to try and kill him which just looks incredible it looks gory as anything it looks like Nicolas Cage gets the potential to go absolutely full gonzo batshit crazy um, full so cage it's basically got everything that I want in a film it kind of it's sounds proved like, it in 16 seconds it sounds like the Banana Splits movie in a yeah. way but in a theme park which if you haven't watched the Banana Splits movie please do it is everything you want it to be <laughs> i actually really want to check it out oh um, my god so it's yeah so I don't we need actually to. strangely bought it on blu-ray i don't know why <laughs> we saw it in hmv yeah. thank you yeah. no 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 i was i was informed <laughs> that this was a, a an interesting film but yeah definitely want to watch um i don't actually know if it's here or if it's no it's not on my dvd shelf i'm actually looking at my dvd shelf right now and it's not there <laughs> I will get it, and you guys, you will we'll share the love. Yeah. It's a, it's worth a watch. It might be on Amazon Prime actually if we've got Amazon Prime. We'll, we'll um, slip onto that. Later. But yeah, very, very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, a massive props to the person who changed the name from Wally's Wonderland to Willy's Wonderland just for that. Yeah, extra lol. <laughs> I mean, uh, well it just sounds absolutely perfect, doesn't it? I've not heard one aspect of this film that I don't think I'm going to enjoy. So. I'm definitely anticipating that release for sure. And then I love the, the fact that collectively, as a group of late twenties to early thirties people, that we hear the word "willy" and we all. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that happens as you get older. Like the older you get, the more funny "willy" gets. <laughs> definitely. So, like at eighty, I'll probably just die. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a bleak thought. Yeah. There's one more that I want to talk about. Uh, it's filming oh. now in Croatia. Um, it is the unbearable weight of massive talent, which is Nicolas Cage's 
uh, film that's coming out next year in which he stars as Nicolas Cage. Um, and that's actually the title. Yep, The Unbearable Weight the of Massive Time. <laughs> I can't wait. This is like the holy trinity of yeah. Nicolas Cage-like yeah. plugs that we've got here. So it's brilliant. Good. So um, shall I give you a brief synopsis of the film? Oh, hit me with it. So Nick Cage plays himself, like a version of himself who is completely down on his look. Um, he's so kind of in need of money that he accepts a million dollars to uh, attend the party of a Mexican super fan. Um, so he goes um, and uh, he goes to this party and then I, I don't quite know how this happens but his wife basically gets kidnapped um, and it turns out that this Mexican superfan is actually not all that he seems. He's got Nicky C there for nefarious reasons. He's actually like a, a, a leader of a Mexican <laughs> drugs cartel. Um, oh, okay. So obviously he, he kidnaps Nicolas Cage's wife. I think it's Nicolas Cage's wife. I don't know. Is it actually Nicolas Cage's like, no, real I wife, just, I though? He's got a Is wife it that anymore? meta? Oh, oh okay. Because they broke okay. up, didn't they? They had... They were married for four days and then... Do you know what, Jono? I don't actually know because I don't actually really look into Nicolas Cage all that much. I do. Don't be surprised. Because um, you do it. So... We don't need to. Jono's the... The fountain of knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. But the best thing about this film is that for some reason, I don't know why, um, he ends up having to play versions of his earlier characters. Oh my so gosh. He will. Oh my god, this sounds actually as, brilliant. Um, his character from Face Off. He'll turn up as his character potentially from Con Air. Um, <laughs> and, and Nicolas Cage describes it as like he'll be playing them, but through the lens of like a Cabinet of Dr. Caligari style aesthetic. Amazing. So, so, so is this technically the anthology of Nicolas Cage? Oh, oh like shit! We How well planned was that little factoid <laughs> of Nicolas Cageiness <laughs> for this episode? <laughs> Sean Paul's now here. So honestly, <laughs> can't wait for that. And apparently, that's going to be out early next year. And I'm hoping uh, that it will get some sort of cinema release. Fingers crossed if cinemas get to open again. That would be pretty, pretty friggin' sweet. Could you imagine but just, that? That's the film that reopens cinemas. It's Nicolas Cage playing. I don't want any other film reopening <laughs> cinemas. To, to be Could quite you imagine? Honest. Cinemas have been closed for God knows how long, and that's what we get as our as our just, film to go back into the cinema is that Nicolas Cage strange anthology of strangeness. I, I, I don't see an issue, to be fair. But how many actors? of his kind of like age and I will say calibre mm, because I do think Oscar, he can act can as act. well exactly he how many people Oscar, would do that though like because that that sheds ego completely and you can tell there's a lot of people his age or in the industry who would not do that yeah. so hats off to him for that I think that's wicked bona fide legend <laughs> also like you mentioned Conair like I got a little bit excited because if he was bringing back his character from Conair Conair low key one of my favorite films mm. not ashamed of it I think it's actually quite brilliant and I really enjoy it like it's one of those things that's always on ITV2 yeah. like all the time <laughs> or it was at least for a long time you know when they like get the rights to a film and they just play it every week now for like a, a year <laughs> it was one of those and I remember every time it was on TV I was like oh, oh Conair's on I'm gonna watch it I, I, I really like Conair I don't know why I don't know what it is I just like I, yeah I'm not ashamed I don't care also weirdly <laughs> stars another actor who's played himself in a film 
Oh, I think now. Yeah. Who? John Malkovich is in it, right? I was going. Ah. Yeah, John Malkovich is in it. I was thinking. Are we talking about John Malkovich? Yeah. See, uh, so maybe that's what taking, Cage did. Taking a leaf out the Malkovich book. Yeah, and then <laughs> just fully cageifying it and making it better. Um, <laughs> we'll move on to the first instance of short of the month, which I feel like Ooh. it needs a jingle, but we'll short, leave. short. I don't know. We can add no, something. No, we will leave. Like, obnoxious. Uh, that, that'll do, won't it? <laughs> I, I mean, I think I think the listeners at home will just leave a Liam comment if you want that. Short, 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 once more, Liam, in uh, in isolation, so I can clip it. Short, short. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything with that. <laughs> no, that's just going in the bank. So, <laughs> short of the month this time is one called "Don't Peek" by a filmmaker called Julian Terry. Um, have we all seen it to start with? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Laura's letting the team Laura's, down. Laura, God damn it, Laura. Of this podcast. To be fair, I think you'd love it as well, yeah, Laura. You, um, you really, very really good. would. Okay, big cool. Up, big up to Julian. It's mm. a very good, very good short. It uses uh, uh, with a lot with a few of his films. So in a previous one, he used the Amazon Echo, didn't he? Uh, Alexa, mm-hmm. sorry, as a, as a device um, to kind of weave a horror story into. And with this one, it's kind of no different. He's, he's chosen something that is of the moment. And he's gone for uh, the Nintendo Switch and Animal Crossing. Uh, oh, I would uh, totally love it. Exactly. Yep. You see, exactly. Yeah. Animal already. Crossing is what is getting me through lockdown. <laughs> um, Mate, we need to visit each other's islands. We so do. I'll send you my friend code. <laughs> you don't want to visit the island that's in this game, uh, film even. Um, so it was filmed during quarantine with three people. Uh, and it has a fantastic look about it, it has a fantastic atmosphere. It's all set in one location if you don't count the Switch world as a separate location. Um, <laughs> and it is... I think it's really creepy. I think it's really, really mm. well done. Uh, I think the the main character, the actor who plays the main character, I think she's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's lit really well. I think it's atmospheric. Yeah. And I think in I think it's about six minutes long, and I think it uses those yeah. six minutes. It's, it's pitch perfect. I really liked it. Mm. It's it's mm. very very good, very well paced as well. Really, yeah, it's it's brilliant. I think big, the big sound design really stuck out to me because mm. I think with horror in particular, sound is so so important, and I think it sounded glorious. It was so so good. Um, so yeah, I mean, hats off to everyone who was involved in that because I know that he was plugging away at that for a long time as well before mm-hmm. it was released. Um, and it, it shows because it's polished and I think you could take that to a studio and hopefully it will get picked up by someone I think they'd be stupid not to to, to yeah, be fair for sure. and the fact that they made it during quarantine with all the lockdown restrictions I mean obviously Julian's based in the States so I'm not quite sure what their regulations I think they've had it a little been. different than us they, here yeah. haven't they but, but yeah. big up to anyone who's making a anything like at the moment because it's so hard to get anything done at mm. the moment but I know um, my experiences of being on a on a set recently have definitely been different um, but everyone's really stepping up to the plate and you know refusing to let Covid stop our industry from working which is amazing so yeah hats off and it's it's definitely receiving 
the reception that it deserves as well. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. If, if you want to add your name to the ever-growing viewers list, we'll leave uh, a link in the description below, and you can check out Julian Terry's short "Don't Peek." So competition time now. If you'd like to win some Super Freak Media goodies, you need to send us the answer to the following question. You can do this by posting a comment on the Instagram post that will be going live at the same time as this podcast. So the tagline, the most fun you'll ever have being scared, comes from which film? Just comment your answer on the Instagram post to be in with a chance of winning some Super Freak Media goodies. So thank you very much to everyone that's been on the podcast this time. We've got Liam. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, Charlie. And for the first time, thank you, Laura. Um, we hope she'll come back. We're not entirely sure. She, we think she hates us. Um, yeah, never seen her again. <laughs> it's, it's been real good. It's been real good. <laughs> yeah, bye. <laughs> so instead of signing off this time, I'm going to pass it over to Michael, who is very kindly it for us this is michael balif with witching season films on the no ghouls allowed podcast thank you for listening and keep it creepy Lots of great insights there about uh, making films and other stuff there. I've messed that right up, so I'm going to do that straight again. Because <laughs> I was just, I caught out of the corner of my eye Liam trying to suppress a giggle and it ruined me. <sighs> ah, Liam is now a cushion, that's better. <laughs>